Okay. Well, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we're studying in the, in the letter to the Colossians, Paul's epistle to the Colossians. You can open up your Bibles to Colossians. And uh, we talk a lot about how Paul learned of their love and their steadfast faith through uh, most likely Epaphras, who had probably helped establish that congregation. Um, Paul apparently had not been part of that personally, but he knew about them through the word that he had received through others. And he knew about their love and their, and their faith and their willingness to serve and, and doing things great. So he's, he's really commending them for that. And then today we're going to look at something that Paul says, we'll get some insight on how he, how he viewed his work as a minister, a minister of the gospel. How he viewed things the way he preached, the way he brought the word to those around and through him, others had passed that gospel, that word, on to others, as we see at Colossae. And we're going to see what we can glean from that, right? See what we can find out from that. Look, look in Colossians chapter 1. Let's read a few verses from there. Beginning Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 24, where he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. All right, so here we have some, a passage from, from Paul talking about what he's about, what he's doing, what his calling is, who he is, and what he's trying to do while preaching the gospel, while serving the Lord. We can kind of see uh, some what it is to be a preacher, right? It's giving, he's giving insight on how uh, preachers should view themselves and perhaps the work they perform, right? First, you know, you got uh, to get a better understanding of that work and what to expect from him. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And you might keep your finger in, in uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians because we're going to be reading a few verses from those two uh, letters. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <coughs> And see what Paul says about being a preacher, being a bringer of the gospel. Verse 1, imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Interesting, isn't it? We are disciples of Christ. We are striving to be like Christ, right? That's what it's all about. Once you become a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, right? That's, that's what we're doing. That's why we're living. That's why we're serving but Paul says, as a preacher, I am doing that. Therefore, you can also imitate me because I imitate Christ. Interesting how that is. Now, Paul's not saying there that he's perfect like Jesus was or, or that he was without sin or that he was the perfect example. But what he's saying is, I'm trying to follow Christ. My goal is to follow Christ and preach the gospel. Therefore, you can follow me. Interesting point, isn't it? That's what preachers should be about, right? But shouldn't we all? 
as Christians be able to say that? If we're all followers of Christ, well, why not? Why shouldn't someone be able to imitate you as you are a follower of Christ? Think about that for a minute. I'm, most all of you have had kids, right, or have had kids, or maybe some are going to have kids, right? What should be your primary goal according to your children? Raise them up in the admonition of the Lord, right? That should be our primary goal. When I, my daughter was first born, that weighed heavy on me. Oh, sure, I may not have sat there and said, I got to teach you the Bible, right? Every minute of the day. But that weighed heavy on me. And I had to think about things, you know, I better make sure my example is good. I, I better make sure we as a family are showing her and my son what it's like to be like Christ. That was very important to me. That doesn't mean I was perfect or anything. That doesn't mean I was some kind of great guy or great dad. But I knew that they were going to see what I did and try to live their lives probably like I had. So it's interesting that we are to be imitators of Christ, and by doing that, we have people who are going to see us and imitate our lives. It's a pretty, pretty daunting thought, isn't it? Because we know our shortcomings, don't we? We know our failings. We know when we're out there where nobody can see us, what's going on in our lives, right? That character that we have, right? That thing that we do when nobody's watching we got to be careful about that right we know we have some who are watching us and if we're going to be like Paul we want them to be able to imitate us because we are trying to imitate Christ doesn't mean we're perfect doesn't mean we're without sin doesn't mean we don't make mistakes but we are followers of Christ so preachers Christians alike we're trying to follow Christ and do like him well Paul also mentions something that he took great joy in. And this is kind of the paradox, isn't it? This is the thing that the world doesn't understand. He can take great joy in the fact that he suffered. He suffered for the brethren. He suffered for the gospel. Verse 24 there, that's what he says. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Can you say that? Can you rejoice in your sufferings for the church? Do you suffer for the church, the body? Interesting concept, isn't it? That's something that we don't probably have to worry about too much now. Maybe in the future it's going to get worse. But Paul was dealing that 24-7. The world hated him so greatly that he had to deal with it all the time. Yet he was able to rejoice. Interesting. How can he say that? How can he do that? Turn over to 2 Corinthians. Let's read a few verses from there. And as I mentioned, stay in, stay, keep your marker in 1 and 2 Corinthians. You're going to be reading a lot over there. 2 Corinthians <coughs> chapter 11. And let's read what Paul had to say here to the church at Corinth. Beginning in verse uh, 22. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons 
more frequently and deaths often from the Jews five times. I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation. Paul is describing what he's been through. It's unbelievable to read that. Really, I mean, it really is. Can you imagine? I can't. I can't imagine going through all that, and yet he's still there. He's still preaching the gospel, and he's rejoicing in it. Unbelievable. But his deep concern is what? Not about himself. Not about the fact that he's done this suffering. His deep concern is for those churches. Interesting, isn't it? He can say that he has suffered on their sake. Even though he doesn't really know these people in Colossae personally, he rejoices that he's suffered for their sake. He can say that. He's done that. Well, Paul takes great joy in that. And as the outline in the second epistle of Corinthians, Corinthians I just read, he's not much different than the other apostles. In fact, his suffering was for their sake, for the sake of Christ and his brethren. In other words, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. He expressed these same thoughts too in his other letters too. Uh, Philippians 2, you can read about it. And you remember the very, he, he, the very, uh, very at the very time he's writing, he's writing these epistles about the same time. So he's literally saying, I'm rejoicing for all, I'm, in the suffering I've had for all of your sakes, not just in Colossae, but in Philippi, Corinth, and other places, right? He's saying, I jo am joyfully willing to suffer on your sakes, for your sake. And then he gives an interesting phrase there. He says, to fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of the body which is in the church. Now, that's an interesting concept, uh, statement there, right? He said, what was lacking in the uh, affliction of Christ? To read that statement on its own kind of sounds like, well, what do you mean by that? You're saying Christ didn't, didn't get it all done? Did his affliction not cover it all? Interesting phrase, isn't it? Let's read, uh, let's read something to see if we can glean something from it. Actually, this is in your outline. I'm just going to read from your outline right here if you got one. He says, this is from uh, the New Testament commentary, Hendrickson's New Testament commentary, Exposition of Colossians of Philemon, where he says, We should bear in mind that although Christ, by means of the afflictions which he endured, rendered complete satisfaction to God, so that Paul is able to glory in nothing but the cross, the enemies of Christ were not satisfied. Oh, interesting. So Paul, he's saying here, Christ did it all. He covered it all. His afflictions are sufficient for our salvation, but Christ's enemies were not satisfied, right? They hated Jesus with such an insatiable hatred and wanted to add to his afflictions. They didn't want to stop, even though Christ is now ascended to heaven. He's not there anymore in the flesh. His enemies aren't done. Since he's no longer present, physically present on earth, their arrows, which he meant especially for him, when they meant especially for him, strike his followers. 
It is in this sense that all true believers are in his stead supplying what, as the enemies see it, is lacking in the afflictions which Jesus endured. Christ's afflictions overflow toward us. Fabulous statement right there. And in your outline, you've got several verses. I'm not going to go through those that support that. You see, as Christians, we are now suffering in his stead. We just took his place. Right? Especially Paul in the first century. The world hated Christ so much that they, they had to continue. They couldn't stop. I mean, it makes me think of, you know, just a, a wolf just going after something relentless, you know, continuous, not willing to stop. You see, Paul's suffering because Christ suffered. Because the world hated him. And remember what Jesus said? The world will hate you just as it's hated me. The world hates you. Yeah, we, we may not suffer in the way that Paul did. Certainly not. But we are hated by the world. We are pitiful according to the world. We are the lowest of the low, according to the world. But yet, Paul could rejoice in the fact that those churches had heard the gospel and were faithful and had a great love for the Lord. Interesting comments, he says. He gives another reason for that joy, for that uh, joy that he had for them. Let's turn back over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're, if you're already there, just move over to the next chapter. And let's begin in verse uh, 11. And notice what he says. I would just mention how pitiful he says, I've become a fool in boasting you have compelled me. In boasting you have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you, for nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is, in, for what is it in you, I'm sorry, for what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. Now, for the third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Paul is saying, you're my children. I'm, I'm, I'm the parent here, right? I'm the mature Christian who brought you the gospel. I rejoice in my suffering because of that. Now that's a little bit easier to see, right? As parents, I imagine most all of you in here are pretty much willing to suffer for your children, right? For your child. Hands down, right out, flat right out. No, no question, right? Makes it easy to understand. Paul sees himself as their parent. He's the mature one. He's the strong one. They are weak. They're growing. And just like as our children are growing, we as parents show our love to them and we are willing to sacrifice whatever it takes for them to be mature in the faith. Paul says, the parent is supposed to lay by in store for the children, not the children for the parents. He also says these things, I'm not going to read it, but in Philippians and Thessalonians, he talks to those, he, in those letters, he mentions the same things, how he brought them the gospel, he was the strong one, he was the parent, and he rejoices 
in their growth and in their maturity. Well, interesting comments, interesting statements. Question we might have is, do we imitate Paul in this regard? Are we imitators of him as he says to do? You know, not only are we willing to share in the afflictions of Christ, but we, are, we should be willing to suffer gladly for our brethren. Do we consider our brethren a source of great joy and pride? I remember back when I was dating my wife, uh, go to church with her up in northwest Arkansas, and there's a gentleman who always had two pictures in his pocket. And walk in the door, and first thing he said, you want to see my pride joy? And he'd pull out a bottle of pride and a bottle of joy. He thought that was hilarious. And, you know, I'd laugh my head off. I saw it about 50,000 times, but it was funny every time. <clears throat> That's what he's saying. They're pride and joy. These people, they're, the children are his pride and joy. He is proud of their faith and what's been accomplished through the gospel. Not necessarily because of him, but through him God has worked to bring their maturity. Are we willing to jo joyfully expend time and energy like this? Turn over to 1 John and let's read a passage from there. 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Really? He's, John's saying we should be laying down our lives for each other? That's a pretty bold statement, right? Are we willing to joyfully expend time, energy, even blood, sweat, and tears in serving each other? Apparently, Paul thinks we should. Apparently, John just wrote that and said, yeah, you should be willing to die for each other. And that's a hard statement, isn't it? We don't necessarily get along with each other that well sometimes, do we? We have some conflicts in the congregation. But ultimately, that love for God, the love for what he did for him and what he did for us should overcome all of that. We have a common goal. And really, what somebody did to you or how somebody wronged you here on earth, in eternity, does that really matter? I know it can be, there's things that can be very important to you. It can really make you mad. But we should be willing to die for each other. That stuff shouldn't be that important. If you know your goal, if you know your ultimate reward is coming, what difference does it make? Sure, you need to work out your conflicts. You need to deal with each other in a mature way. But love should overcome. We need to let the example of Paul be our model. In reality, he was simply following the example of Jesus Christ. Paul considered himself, first and foremost, a servant. We just read that in uh, verses 25 through 27. His view of himself was really, really quite humble. I mean, he sees himself as a minister. He sees himself as a servant. The Greek word is diakonos, which is also a word we would reuse for a deacon. And basically that means a servant. In fact, you could say, we all are servants. We all are deacons. We all are diakonos. We all are ministers. Just because Paul has brought the gospel to these brethren in Colossae, or Thessalonica, or Philippi, Laodicea, wherever that is, doesn't mean he's any better 
than anybody else. He's just a man, humble servant, trying to preach the gospel to those around. He's, this is exactly how Paul viewed himself. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 3. Let's read a verse that he had written here to the church of Corinth. <clears throat> he says, let's begin in verse 5. Who then, who then is Paul and who was Apollos? But ministers through whom you believe, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is in Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I'm nothing. I'm just the guy who planted. I just planted the field. Paul's watered it for me. God caused it to grow. Had nothing to do with that. You see, his point was, I'm just a minister. I'm just a servant, just like you. No different. I'm an humble servant. I'm an humble preacher of the gospel. I shouldn't be elevated. I shouldn't be puffed up about it. And by the way, are there preachers today that tend to elevate themselves? Or are there members today of the brotherhood that tend to elevate preachers above everybody else? I know Kyle back there, he, he deserves to be elevated, but he would be the first person to say no. I'm just a man. I didn't mean to puff you up there, Kyle. Don't, don't get the big head or anything. But seriously, that's what Paul's saying. I'm a simply a servant. That's all. I'm just a servant. Yet we tend to, the people that are the leaders or, or, or the person that's speaking to us, and, and believe me, I'm no different, we tend to puff them up. We tend to set them up on a pedestal, don't we? But they're just men. Jesus Christ is the one that we worship. He's the one who should be on that pedestal all the time. <clears throat> In particular, Paul considered himself a servant of the church, of Jesus Christ, of the gospel. And as, he, as a servant, he considered himself a steward. He had received a stewardship from God. The word used there is economia. I think I said that right. And that just means the management of a household. Person who manages things. He's been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ which he called, interestingly, a mystery. Interesting how he would say that. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 16 and see something there. Romans 16, and uh, let's, say, let's, let's begin in verse 25. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to, to the faith, to God alone, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. You see, Paul says, I'm revealing the mystery that was given to me, that was revealed to me by God, <laughs> that's been there since the beginning of time, but now has been revealed in the flesh through Jesus Christ. He's revealing that ministry. 
What is that ministry? That he's specifically referring to the ministry has been given to the Gentiles. It's not just for the Jews. Yeah, the Jews had a law. The Jews were the chosen people. But this mystery was there all the time. The secret was there all the time that he was going to bring his son to save the whole world, not just the Jews, Gentiles alike. Interesting, Paul considers this his duty as a steward to faithfully share that gospel to all nations. Interesting concept, right? How about us? Do we consider ourselves servants? Do we? Do we serve one another? Do we consider ourselves stewards of the gospel that we have been given, that we've been given the stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be faithful with, to manage properly, to teach and preach to others? Do you consider yourself that way? A steward of the gospel? Someone who's been given a job basically, been made a manager. Whether or not we view ourselves this way, it is how God views us. And guess what? We're going to be judged by that. We're cleansed by the blood of Christ, of course. That's how we're saved. But plenty of scriptures that talk about, show me you love me, you obey all my commandments. And in the end, you're either going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or I never knew you. One or the other. That's the way it's going to be. Paul had primarily one goal in life here, as he mentions these last two verses, to present every man perfect in Christ. See, he was not just out to preach, not just out to make converts. The point he's making is he wanted to make mature disciples. As a parent, don't you want your children to mature? Some of you in here probably are dealing with a very immature 30-year-old. <laughs> I don't know. That happens. That's not fun, is it? I know of some people that have had to deal with some of that. You want your children to mature, to grow, right? Physically and mentally. Take some responsibility for themselves. When they leave the home and they leave the nest, go out in the world and be able to be a successful human being. Take care of themselves, right? That's what you want. I know, moms. It's kind of hard to let go sometimes. I know that. Dads, too. But that's the point. He is trying to present mature Christians, not just weak ones. Yeah, he wants them to be converted. He's preaching the gospel. But part of that is to continue to walk and grow. As we said before, you're not growing. What are you doing? You're dying, right? He preached Jesus Christ. He proclaimed the good news. His whole life is teaching his death and resurrection. Only by presenting Christ to the man can a preacher hope to present the man to Christ as complete and mature. Go back over to 2 Corinthians. Let's read something from chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's begin in verse uh, 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation which with gold, 
I'm sorry, I'm in 1 Corinthians. Let me get over to a second. I knew that wasn't right. Except Corinthians 3. <clears throat> Verse 12, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses has read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, being a Christian doesn't mean once we're converted, we're good, we're done. We are constantly being transformed. How's that done? Well, through study, reading the Word, understanding it, taking it in, through prayer. You better be in prayer because you're not going to understand anything, everything in here without some prayer. Right? Being together with each other in fellowship. When we're together here, you need to be here. Have that encouragement, have that edification, have that love for each other, that common goal, that common mind, right? And serving, serving in that kingdom, serving others, having that love for each other, that willingness to die for each other that is called upon. Wow, powerful statements, right? He wanted to present mature Christians to Jesus Christ. How did he do that? Well, by preaching and teaching, his teaching of the gospel, he had to sometimes warn them. There had to be some warnings given, some negative preaching. We need it. We need to know what we shouldn't be doing, right? Sometimes we need to be rebuked. We need to have our toes stepped on every once in a while, don't we? We may not like it, but sometimes we need it. Negative preacher serves a great purpose, right? You can kind of might, as he mentions in the outline, it's, you might say it's like the restraining rails on the highway, right? Driving down the highway on that cliff, it's nice to have that rail over there. It kind of makes you feel. Back years ago, Jelani and I went to Colorado, drove up Pikes Peak. You ever done that? I was in a little car. Once you get up there above the, yeah, once you get up there above the tree line, that path kind of gets kind of windy. And guess what? They don't have rails up there. <laughs> we did that. Driving along, and you're, you're kind of going on. It feels like you're going straight up, and then all of a sudden you've got a 180-degree turn. And I'm taking it pretty slow. My hands are kind of getting a little sweaty, and Jolene's over here, look at that view out there. And I'm going, what view? i got to make sure I stay on this road. It's kind of scary. There's nothing stopping me from going off the end of that mountain. Yeah, we need some restraining rails, don't we? We need some boundaries. Remember how they talk about how children will test you? They're trying to see how far they can go, don't they? Even if they have to dip their toe in the fire, they might do it. I didn't do that. I wasn't that stupid. But they'll do it. Some will. He had to be negative. But then you have to balance that out with some positive energy, don't you? You have to balance that out with some positive preaching or else we're just going to be 
feeling like we're in the dump all the time. Yeah, we should be positive. We have a common goal. Eternity with the creator of the universe. Man, you should be positive about that. You should be joyous. Without question, that should be our nature. That should be our, the way we feel about things. Yeah, we need to know what we can't do. We need to be rebuked when we make mistakes, and we're going to make mistakes, but we need that positive preaching. Not only that, we need some private instruction every once in a while, don't we? I mean, we can come here, we get the public instruction. You know, every Sunday, Kyle's got a great lesson. We all hear it, but sometimes it doesn't really sink in until you get on that personal level, does it? You know, when you're growing up, you had to have that bedroom talk every now and then, right? I was just talking to Julian about this the other day. You remember when your dad would walk in the house and says, okay, family meeting, and you just dreaded it when you were a kid because you knew somebody was in big trouble, right? Yeah, I had a few of those. That personal instruction Paul did. Turn over to Acts chapter 20 and just to see what he said about that. What, what, said, what uh, Luke said about it. Acts 20, now let's just read in verse, uh, oh, verse 17. From Miletus from, from he sent to Ephesus called for the elders of the church. When they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. You see, Paul not only preached in the public forum, we know what he did, went to Athens, you know, he went right up there in the Apocrypha and started spouting it out. And those guys were going, who in the world is this dude? But then he met with people house to house, teaching them privately, instructing. And that's part of that process, isn't it? When you get on the personal level, you know, obviously it's more personal. It's a little more intimate, isn't it? And sometimes we need that. We need to be able to understand things personally that we may not be able to get in a public forum. He expanded effort and emotion. He labored toward this goal of his. He agonized doing so. The Greek word is agonizome. That's probably not right. But that simply means to endeavor with a Sheer zeal with uh, not, uh, never ceasing zeal, right? Not constantly at it. But he depended on God in his labors. Turn back over there, 1 Corinthians. And let's read a verse or two from there. 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> and he says, verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believe. You see, Paul saying, I was pitiful compared to the apostles, because I persecuted the church. He feels a guilt there that the other apostles did not. 
And that doesn't mean he's any less or any better or anything like that. But he goes on to say, because of that, my, I have this great zeal to preach the gospel, just like the other apostles did, for your behalf, that you might receive that gospel. He depended on God and his labors, and he always um, asked God for help in accomplishing his goal. Well, question we need to ask, are we imitators of Paul? I just read it in 1 Corinthians 11, right? He said, imitate me as I'm an imitator of Christ. So ultimately, are we imitators of Christ? Do we try to follow Christ in our lives? Paul said he was doing it. Are we concerned about whether or not our brethren and others are being presented perfect in Christ? And I'm not necessarily talking about taking care of people when they're sick or taking care of people when we need food or, or something like that, but making sure that our brethren are on the path, right? That's part of it. We say, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to rebuke anybody. And no, we don't do things like that out of spite, but out of love, out of a concern for their souls. We need to be ready to speak to someone when you know something's going on. You want them to be in heaven with you, right? So that's part of that. Yeah, we might need to go to someone and say, look, I have a concern for your soul. I love you, and I want you to be there in the end. I need to talk to you about this. Therefore, if we're willing to expend that effort and emotion to reach that end, we will be able to say, I'm an imitator of Paul, and ultimately, I'm an imitator of Christ. What a wonderful set of passages that Paul uses there. He's a preacher of the gospel. He explains that he rejoiced in his suffering and that he, his main goal was to present mature Christians to Jesus Christ. What a wonderful goal. I hope you all have that. And if not, if you haven't decided to be an imitator of Paul and an ultimate imitator of Christ, then there's no better way day than today. All right, time is up. Thanks for being here.